Welcome to another edition of the NCBI podcast. I'm June Tinsley, Head of Communications and Advocacy with NCBI. And today I have the pleasure of having a chat with Gordon McFarlane, who is based up in the beautiful Kincashla in County Donegal. Welcome, Gordon, and thanks for having a, a chat with me today. Hi there. Thanks for having me in the programme. Great, great, great. Um, I suppose just as I introduce all my listeners, if you or all my guests, rather, um, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself. Right. Uh, try not to speak too long. Um, I'm now 70. Uh, I've retired. I was an RE teacher for 33 years. When I started off, um, when I was zero, uh, I had congenital cataracts and um, 14 operations then. And then when I was in my teens, uh, I got the glaucoma and they lost my eyesight and said I'd never see again. But I had a kind of religious experience then, and after five or six months, they, I could see a little, and uh, after many operations, I was able to drive a bus, the, the, the surgeon said, but I had to go to the blind school in Edinburgh because they said that I may go blind at some stage, so I needed to learn Braille, and that's uh, where I met my wife, and then I trained as a minister, and then gave that, went to the side of that and did an RE teaching course and did that for 33 years. In the middle of that, um, uh, 1998 or so, um, my eyes began to go again. I got 30 good years of eyesight and uh, saw my family growing up Great. and then began to go. And um, I remember agonising, you may want to talk about this for job prospects, but I used to worry how I was going to cope as a teacher with a class of 30 kids I uh, couldn't see. and um, I for many, <laughs> I used to agonise over it for many, many nights. And then I felt one night an answer came after many months of thinking about it. And um, it was just, you know, <laughs> the answer was to tell everybody because at that stage I was saying nothing. I was going around the school looking at lights, trying to find my way around the corridors. I just did not want to be blind or appear blind. Um, and uh, And then I felt I should also get a guide dog. So... That was the next thing, and then the thought came to mind. I would look back and I'd be amazed at how it had worked. And certainly, 12 years later, when I was about to retire, I had 12 great years with a guide dog in the class. Um, everything was superb. But the thing I found was I, I needed to take control of it myself, not let other people tell yeah. me how to do it. Um, and then I got what I needed, and uh, to be perfectly fair, it was super at that point. Um, you know, I was scared of being blind and how I'd be treated, but actually everything worked out well. And I guess from what you're saying there, you were a, a secondary school teacher. Secondary school, yeah, 12 to 18s. Um, and in Dublin, or sorry, was that in, in Ireland or in Scotland? No, I was in Scotland. It was in Aberdeen. That's where I, I, I was pretty well all my life until five years ago when we moved here to Donegal. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, mm-hmm. how did you kind of interact with the the students um, if you were kind of unable to to see the the levels of participation or hands up in the class or any of those kind of things? Yeah, I think the good thing was that I'd had twenty years of teaching before that, um, and I knew roughly what I was doing, and yes. I did worry about the kids that they would take advantage. We had a number of things were done. Um, I had a camera put in the corner of the room linked to a monitor. Nowadays, it would do it a wee bit differently, probably, but it meant that if anything went wrong, people could check it and see what happened. And 
I always liked to say, because the classes were good, the kids were superb. It wouldn't have worked if it hadn't been for them, but I worried about being treated badly. And what actually happened was that the kids seemed to go into credit mode. It was really good. And this camera was there. And in 13 years after going blind there, it was only looked at probably about 15 times in that uh, thing. So, I mean, you some, some people have 15 incidents a day. So yes. I was really I was really pleased. And it's credit to the kids, really, because we had a good relationship. And I think that worked. You, you know, we, we uh, Harry's not the most popular of subjects, but they seemed to enjoy it. And what we ended up doing was, uh, you know, a bit of fun as well. And I could actually, up till then, I was scared to show I was blind. If anybody sort of hinted at it, I would have uh, been annoyed or difficult or whatever, but um, just a, maybe a little bit of thought here. When I finally had to tell all the classes I was going blind, and that was about 30 classes in a week, I had one every period. I just decided to tell everybody and take the risk that things would go wrong. And um, it was amazing. Some of the worst kids became the best, and they didn't treat me like an imbecile, which I was worried about. I, they, they actually, I felt like a very good treatment. Uh, you know, we could actually share a joke and have a really good time. And at the end of that week, um, I remember the last class went and it was like a big weight lifted off me. I'd been trying to appear sighted for so long. I didn't yeah. need to anymore. It was absolutely wonderful. And given the fact that everything worked well from that point on when I got the dog and went to school, it was absolutely wonderful. I mean, it was the best time of my life, I think. Oh, I'm delighted. I'm delighted. And as you rightly say, kind of having a good rapport with uh, young people, certainly, mm. because yeah. they can be very accepting and yeah. um, of the circumstances and the environment. And I'm sure they learned an awful lot from you, not just uh, religious studies, but also interaction <laughs> um, and having the guide dog mm. in the room and everything. So yeah. that certainly stood to them um, as they went on through life, I'm sure. I think the thing, the other thing I would say, you did ask a question about um, how do, you know, I know the hands were up and things like that. Well, basically, I, I developed my own system, really. I said, you know, you could snap uh, with your fingers if if you want, but not rudely, but just uh, once, uh, if I don't answer it, then give me a minute or two and I'll do it again. And to be honest, that, that really worked quite well. I was able to hear when somebody wanted to speak. The other thing is you develop, I'm not saying your other senses, as a, as a misnomer, I think that people think your other senses suddenly become super. Um, I think because you're using them, you've got to use uh, your other senses so you're more aware of things. I was able to hear things that they would be surprised at, um, like somebody still had their coat on when they weren't meant to, <clears throat> excuse me, or somebody was chewing, for instance, if I caught that. Uh, I would sometimes have a bit of a game with it and uh, uh, not mention it for a, a minute or two until they didn't realise I knew and get them to put it in the bucket, that kind of thing. But yeah. ways of controlling, but you have to listen and your other senses, you know, you just try and... Uh, be aware, and I found that worked for me. I was for I was fortunate. Mm -hmm. well, I'm delighted to hear that, um, and because certainly NCBI would be supporting other um, young people who are want to become teachers, and certainly some of the beneficiaries of our Jared Byrne bursary um, are students in teacher training college and things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of the concerns they would have is how will they 
manage and control and be able to um, encourage full participation in the classroom. So I'm delighted to hear it, it's worked out so well for you. We also had access to work in Britain, which I don't know whether it's here in, in Ireland, but uh, there was a, an amount of money or hours paid for by the government so that I had a, a worker that helped me with the marking and all that. So basically, he would read it to me and uh, I would mark it that way. So I was on top of the stuff, which was good. I wasn't left to flounder, really. And if you can imagine having, well, when I started, all the kids in the school because I was the only RE teacher and then other people came in and so I had uh, half the classes when I ended it's maybe hundreds of kids though so it's quite yeah. a lot of paperwork yeah yeah well uh, delighted to hear you, you you got that that support to be able to then um, grade the kids appropriately yeah uh, for, for their own achievements and obviously fast forward a little more time you've arrived here in in Donegal um, yeah. is there much snow there today Loads of snow, yes. It was worse yesterday, mind you. My granddaughter, who stays with us, uh, she goes to Aaron Moore School on the island, and uh, the school was closed yesterday because of the snow and the ice and the roads being bad, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, mm -hmm. it, it, common across the country at the minute is certainly the cold snap. Um, oh, yes, it's cold. Mm -hmm. So tell me, Gordon, what other kind of, um, what supports have you availed of from NCBI since you've been um, with us? Hmm. Uh, well, Bernie Leahy in uh, Letterkenny has been very helpful. And at the beginning, when we first, it was a big move. Uh, basically, it was in the spur of the moment, really. And uh, people kind of thought we were mad. Two blind people, my wife's blind, uh, coming over to take up something totally new in a different country. But it worked out well. Bernie Leahy was a good liaison. She was, you know, helpful. And some of the paperwork she was able to help with and get his into some of the things we needed to do. But um, in general, the library my wife used um, for NCBI, and I can't, um, there's nothing else really that I can think of. I, the podcasts, which were for technology, I, I liked listening to them and being involved at that at, at the beginning. So these are the kind of things um, that right. we, we got involved with with NCBI. Oh, and also I should say, my guide dog um, died a year and a half ago. I'm still waiting for a new one. So I had had um, white cane training uh, yes. in Scotland, but um, Bernie again came and got me around my area just to familiarise myself without a dog. And, you know, we, uh, really I can get about quite well with a cane, but they're not as friendly as dogs. No, that's true. That's true. Um, certainly, the Excuse me. guide dogs offer such a level of um, independence mm. and comfort. Um, There's no comparison, really. Exactly. The, the cane they can't offer that level of comfort um, in, in some instances. Um, and Gordon, obviously, you're heavily involved in the um, Uplift FM radio uh, station. Well, um, when I retired, I, I was under the age for retirement. I retired a couple of years early. I didn't need to, but I, the opportunity came and I thought I might try and do something different. I'd always been interested in music. I'd had a an audio video business for a number of years. Even when I was blind, I got someone to do some of the video stuff and I did a lot of the audio editing, etc. So when I retired, um, the very day I wrote my letter, I had a friend in that night and uh, he said he was talking about one of his friends who did radio work and it just... It just uh, hit a chord, really, and um, I remember reading 
there was pro there were programs available for blind people and visually impaired people to run a radio station. So that very night I paid for it, downloaded it, and got started. And six months later, Uplift Radio began. Um, we're 24 hours a day. Uh, I had a number of other people doing some DJing with me. And um, so it's, we play all kinds of music from the 40s through to current music, uh, country to gospel, lots of things. It's not a Christian station as such. Um, there is Christian material on it on a Sunday and sometimes during the week. But in general, it's secular and uh, tries to uplift people, really. That's the whole idea. And during the pandemic, of course, more people would be listening as well. But in the past year, we've doubled our, just about doubled anyway, our uh, listening hour. So it's it's been quite gratifying to see that people are listening. Yes, and I looked at the um, looked at it before I had the chat here with you today, um, yeah. and it's quite a, a jam packed schedule that you offer, um, which is really <laughs> yeah. diverse and interesting. It is. Uh, it's it's fun. I mean, making the programs. We tend to do it by recording. Um, basically, we can break into it. The the, uh, the as you can imagine, where we live in the middle of nowhere, there's very little good broadband. Uh, it's just enough to break in and do live shows if I need to. But the server is in in the UK, and all I do is upload the, the programs, etc. So basically, it's a one man thing, really. But uh, a lot of other people are willing to be involved in doing the DJ stuff. So and it's fully licensed and. We're on, as they say, 24 hours a day, so it keeps me busy. It's something I like, I like doing, and I always like music and technology. It works. It works well. And who are the um, primary audience? Do you think anybody? Um, it's worldwide. I like worldwide. Really, I would say age group. More so, older people, because the kind of music we, we play is less geared to the teenagers probably there are one or two things but um you know we go right back say to to the 1940s right through to well today roughly but um the, it's more middle of the road kind of music and yes daniel o'donnell will be found on it and country music and things like that so there is it's easy going easy listening kind of music and uh, a bit fun we have a bit of fun doing dj stuff so it's uh Hopefully, people do seem to be listening and hopefully enjoying, yeah. Well, as you rightly said, particularly through COVID, um, radio played such a key role in being a, a companion for people. Mm -hmm. so I'm, no wonder your listeners um, increased in, in volume for, during that period, and I'm sure you've, you've sustained them as a result. Well, they're still there, thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, there's no point in me sitting in the studio. But um, yeah, it's, it's good fun. And um yeah, there's uh, we've got obviously an app. Um, we've got the app for the for iPhones and uh, for Google and all the rest of it. They're all in the usual shops, uh, you know, the stores. Yeah. And uh, there's a website as well. And we're on Alexa, so I mean, it can be got pretty well easily by just saying "Play Uplift FM" or "Uplift Radio" is probably easier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, in fairness, uh, I would encourage others to to tune in and and uh, get a flavour of it. It's it's very good. Um. And I suppose, Gordon, just um, given your experience of uh, being vision impaired from from birth and then uh, obtaining some level of sight and, and now your current circumstances, um, what do you think are the kind of few changes that are needed to ensure people living with sight loss have the same experiences and opportunities as their sighted peers? 
I think, um, first of all, there have to be the supports there, and there are with NCBI, which is super. I think people who are going blind are who are, it's a fearsome thing. Uh, I remember I knew it was happening to me, and um, I was panicking. Uh, it was very, very difficult. And I remember once going up to do a gig in, in Shetland, uh, and I was sitting in the plane, and the, the windows were like um, coach windows with, with curtains on them. And I suddenly realised that wasn't the case. Uh, because my eyes were getting so bad, it was what they call I think, the Charles Bonnet syndrome, which um, your brain manufactures what's not there to try and make sense of what it's getting. And that was a scare. But I think if you're going blind, you've got to face it. There's no point in in trying to play around with things. I mean, I, I, I for a long time, I tried to see the computer screen and eventually it just didn't work for me anymore. So I had to go on speech. And once I threw myself into that, it was so much easier and there were, it wasn't, <laughs> when you face it, it's easier. You're not trying to cope working two kind of systems. You're trying to see with some things and not with others. And I found that by being open and honest, eventually and facing it, the fear went because it wasn't quite so bad as I thought it was going to be. It's like most things in life, when you face them, they're never quite as bad as um, as they as they could be. That's true. Yes, I mean, uh, and I, I can imagine it's very um, a personal perspective as well, um, and a sense of feeling alone as well uh, can can dominate that transition. People. Um, and it's so easy to get into a negative mindset and you will do I mean there's no doubt about it people do go into that but I think you've got to realize that you've got more life to live and it's not good to sit down and let it overwhelm you but if possible get all the supports you can and if you're working especially that way try and hold on to that and uh, employers by law usually have got to try and accommodate you. So these are things you need to investigate and really push for because, you know, you have a life to live and you're entitled to do that. Exactly, exactly. And I suppose given where you're living now is, is quite a rural area, mm. uh, would you um, consider that there is some um, obstacles that you have to face that other individuals in the community don't have to face, whether yes. it's getting out and about safely or... Um, even interacting in some of the leisure or uh, recreational opportunities or, or anything like that? Well, if anybody knows the area, they'll know the roads are narrow, there's ditches on either side and no pavements. And when I first came here with my guide dog, um, I stayed in a hotel just up the road from where we are now. And I stayed for two or three days and I determined that if I couldn't make it to the village with the guide dog and everyone said it was so dangerous, then um, I couldn't stay. So one night we went out and just walked down to the, the village. It was <laughs> it was scary because I didn't even know where the village was. And when I was in it, it was so quiet, I nearly walked through it. Um, but having said that, I got there and got back and the roads are difficult. And guide dogs themselves, the, the organization, don't encourage you to use your guide dog on that road. But I took my granddaughter to school uh, every day along that road with the guide dog. And I found it was OK. I didn't get run over, which was good. But, um, yeah, the, the we need more footpaths. We need signage, probably, which would make life easier for people with guide dogs or blind people 
uh, with canes trying to get about. But uh, that it's remote. But in some ways, there's a good point to that. You can wander some roads without seeing any cars at all. Mm. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and in, in terms of kind of connectivity, um, you, you highlighted earlier, there's broadband is, is there, but it's a bit patchy. Um, mm. And ha, has it been improving in, in recent years? Because obviously technology is such a, an enabler for people mm. who are both vision impaired and it's so vital to maintain that connection um, if you're living in a rural area. If yes, you can't be a talent. That's right. It's good enough to use um, for even TV. It can download. It's quite slow speed, but it works. And uh, certainly my granddaughter, who's well into phones and all that kind of stuff, she's always on something that's uh, streaming. So we do manage it quite reasonably. And it's although I thought it was a lot lower than Aberdeen, I was actually quite pleased that it's working for us. So, yes, there is connectivity, but, you know, there's a long way to go in many in many parts of, of Ireland yet in the rural areas. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, and I suppose just to conclude, um, you, you mentioned earlier um, uh, around uh, in, encouraging people who are uh, have a vision impairment or going blind um, to essentially accept and, and embrace that part of them. Mm. Um, but is there any other one piece of advice that you'd give to another person who's recently diagnosed with a, a sight loss condition? I try and get involved with someone else who is blind if, or get maybe NCBI to to buddy you or link them in with you. Uh, when we came here, um, they started, funnily enough, a VIP group, a visually impaired group, and um, there's now about 12 or 13 of us meet every week or so. Tea, coffee, that kind of stuff. And we have guest speakers and singers. It's good to get involved with people and to learn what, um, how they cope and how that might help you if you're, if you're especially newly finding it difficult with sight. And as I say, rather than hide away, if possible, try and face it. And it wouldn't be as bad as you, you think, because there's so many wonderful people out there who are willing to help and to encourage and listen to the radio, of course. That will encourage you too. <laughs> <laughs> very much so, very much so. <laughs> and if well, anybody's interested and wants to be involved, they're welcome to contact us. There may be a possibility. They may even get to do some DJing. An excellent invitation. <laughs> Perfect. Um, well, for now, Gordon, I would just like to say thanks very much for having a chat with me this, this morning. Um, anyone who is interested in um, the, hearing more about Uplift FM, feel free to jump onto their website, upliftfm.com. Um, mm-hmm. If anyone wants to listen back to any of NCBI's previous podcasts, they're available on um, all the streaming platforms as well as on our YouTube channel where you can subscribe. Um, if anyone wants to access our services, feel free to contact the info line 1-800-911-250 or alternatively jump onto the website ncbi.ie. But for now, thank you very much, Gordon. Lovely to have a chat with you. Thank you for having me.